0: Hello, and welcome back to Tectonic, a podcast that looks at the way technology is changing our lives. I'm Richard Waters, West Coast editor at the Financial Times in San Francisco. Last week, we heard from a pioneer of artificial intelligence software about how to bring greater diversity and accountability to the algorithms that guide our decisions. In this episode, we're bringing you a discussion from the FT's Future of News conference in New York last week. In the aftermath of the Cambridge Analytica data leak, we looked at the power of the tech platforms where many people get their news. How are they working with publishers? Are they doing enough to combat fake news? And do they wield too much power? Our global media editor, Matthew Garahan, put the questions to the experts. He was joined on stage by Campbell Brown, head of news partnerships at Facebook, Emily Bell, director of the Toe Centre for Digital Journalism at Columbia University, Jason Kint, CEO of Digital Content Next, and Richard Gingras, Vice President of News at Google. Here's their discussion.
1: So it's been a bit of a week for you, Campbell. Uh, we, we could cut to the, cut to the how, have, how have things been this in the last, the last few days? <laughs>
2: Um, look it's 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 been a rough week it's um, it's frankly been a rough year um, but um, the, you know we we are in a position now where we have to be judged by our actions you know I mean people I, I can just tell you inside the company um, and outside the company people people are very upset um, I'm upset you know this breach of trust that's happened, as Mark described it last night, it, it, you know, it doesn't feel good for anyone. Um, we have, I think, as a tech company, been too focused on the positive and not nearly vigilant enough about the negative, and we've been caught flat-footed. And there is you know, an awakening that's taking place inside the company where the mentality is very much all hands on deck in terms of trying to address this, but but people have to um, see how we perform on our promises. Mm. You know, they have to judge us by our actions.
1: I mean, one of the, the criticisms w- w- was this week. I mean, there've been a lot of criti- criticisms, but this week, why it took so long for Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg to come out and say something? Do you have a sense of why? Four four days later, they they finally. Well, did
2: that? I- I, I think whenever you're in a situation like this, you're, there's this tension between wanting to get out immediately and give people some information, even if you don't have all the facts, and the answers you're giving to people might be a little half-baked, mm-hmm. versus waiting and doing the, you know, the legwork internally to find out, you know, everything you can about what happened, and then coming forward when you actually have answers and a plan for how you're going to address the problems, and, you know. Mark is a very deliberate person, so I'm not surprised that he wanted to approach it that way no. um, as media you know that makes us a little anxious um, but that that tension's always going to exist and i I understand it
1: yeah I wonder if I can open this to the panel but do do we think panel that that the sort of mere culpa or the, the the statements last night will go any way to solving some of the underlying concerns that people have about about Facebook. I don't know
3: why everyone looks at me, yeah,
1: yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm at a university, Come on, nobody, nobody cares.
3: Um, does, well, so, so, so several things, we've heard this before, so I think it was, I think, I think it was the minimum that Facebook could do, um, so it, wasn't, it was a mayor culpa, but it didn't really give us anything that we haven't heard before, they have said that they would fix this kind of um, attitude to, or, or fix the problems with privacy. Um, And and it hasn't happened. It's been a horribly mishandled um, crisis, which has just been made much worse, really, by the company that doesn't seem to understand how stories travel on the infrastructure that is actually built. Um, But but what I would say is that, and I think Campbell was very sceptical when I was saying this to her in the green room, I actually think that this could be good for Facebook because these problems have always been there and this has been coming. Um, And the fact that it's arrived now gives them an opportunity to take... Uh, you know the kind of remedial action that will really define whether or not they have a future or not. Mm. so I think that you know it's a very significant problem they have because their platform is designed for the recirculation of n- content which is largely undifferentiated um, and and it's paired with a largely undifferentiated <laughs> T- very sort of kind of high speed targeting system. And that's, you know, that's created cultural problems. You have a cultural <coughs> problem appearing later at this conference, mm-hmm. which was created by exactly that, 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 that platform and those technologies and some of the technologies in Google as well. Big question, can engineering solve cultural problems? Uh, you know, I, I teach in a school where we teach both computer, computer scientists and journalists together. And, and the, the, the desire to apply engineering fixes to culture uh, is overwhelming, and it almost never works. Mm. So I think that you know, the key issue for everybody here, including non-platform companies, is how do you then fix culture? And there isn't a silver bullet for it. There isn't a kind of a, we're going to get fake news off the platform, etc. cetera. Mm. But, but everybody is going to have to change what they do really significantly if we want to. And it sounds dramatic, protect democracy, but I don't think it's... Well, Mark,
1: Mark Zuckerberg talked about being open to regulation last night. Yeah. What, what, what would that look like? What, what? Well,
4: yeah. I mean, Mark, I think, focused then on, on election regulation. Um, I think that's the, the low-hanging fruit, frankly, um, where I think it's going. And if you, if you look at all the remarks he said last night, um, it's interesting that it took as long as it did because he said, I'm sorry, which was probably the easiest thing that he should have said and probably the most important thing, we screwed up. Um, but he didn't really say anything else new, to Emily's point, and, and there was one exchange in the New York Times interview that I'd call attention to where he, he made the argument that in the business model of, of Facebook and Google, is pretty clear, it's a collection of data across the web to do micro-targeted advertising. That's what it is. And you put free services on top of that so the consumers are all happy. He made a point, Mark made a point to the Times that, that the business model couldn't be changed, that it was a necessity to doing business to keep the product free. Mm. And he's saying that about a company that makes $20 billion a year in profit with 50 plus margins. Mm. Um, so that is insincere. And that's the thing that he's got to come to grips with. And I think where we're going is regulation around data. It's already happening in Europe. And it's going to become an international discussion. And it's going to go to the core of the business model. And that's why it's so scary to them. And it should be to Facebook. Can I mean, I, Google. Can
2: I just clarify one yeah. thing, too, um, from what Jason said? I mean that, that protecting people's data is by far the most important thing. And so the delay in Mark speaking its not about him trying to figure out what to say. No. It's about actually doing the necessary work internally to make sure that people's data was protected given what had happened.
3: But, that, but and, it was known from 2015. Just a tiny plug for my own sort of home base, which is he said in his blog post, knew, we knew about this because The Guardian reported it in 2015, as did The Intercept and other independent journalism out there. Um, Last Thursday, before the Guardian published the whistleblower, Facebook was threatening legal action. You know, you cannot have it both ways. You know, it really has to clarify, as a company, what you know whether it's whose side it is on in this. Mm.
2: And I, I, let me just say, I I agree with that. It was a mistake to not have addressed it then. Mm. And if it were me, I would not have threatened to sue the Guardian. Right. <laughs> not probably our wisest move.
1: Mm. R- Richard, do you look at all this? From where you sit with a sense of, uh, you know, thank God it's not us. I mean, is, is there, is there <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, no, you I, been, I, you've been through cycles like this, or Google has, hasn't it, um, in, in, other, in other, other ways?
5: No, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't look at it that way. I mean, look, it, we have obviously extraordinarily interesting challenges and in many cases also opportunities in this new environment. Uh, we know that quite well. Uh, And obviously the big questions upon all of us is how in our own ways, in working with the industry, do we address those? I mean, you raised an interesting point earlier about, you know, can technology solve society's problems? Well, not in a generic sense, I've always pointed out. I mean, technology has value, but it doesn't have values. It's how we apply it. Uh, you know, so Google doesn't have technology that's going to fix society. But what I think we have done over the last several years, and we had some big announcements two days ago, is how do we apply our technology across the board to try to address at an architectural level Uh, capabilities such that we can enable good journalism to happen, such that we can enable sustainable news products as we go forward, right? And how do we address that at, at every mechanism? And I think here too, it's also important as we discuss platforms is to recognize the differences in the platforms and not necessarily that one is bad and one is good, but they're very, very different. Right. A social networking platform like Facebook, a very different environment, very different engagement patterns, and also, in that case, obviously, in a sense, a proprietary environment, which their model and motivation is about time on that site, action on that site. That's fine. It's a great product. I use it as well. You know, Google's platform is the open web. we're a child of the web so everything we're doing is about how do we take and create whether it's subscription tools to make you know subscriptions happen easier on the web or new tools to create new immersive forms of storytelling on the web or tools for journalists um, or the new effort report for america how do we train folks to go into newsrooms it's all about enabling characteristics in that open environment of the web Uh, now You know, there's a lot more work to do there. We're proud of what we've done. But here, too, I think we have to recognize that these problems don't get solved by individual tech companies or individual participants, right. right? It does require collaboration and deep engagement. And that's the way we've operated and that's the way we'll continue to operate. And obviously two days ago, we doubled down on that commitment with announcement of new efforts with a commitment of an additional $300 million in, in funding towards actually helping making the environment uh, the healthy one our society needs it to be. Right, but, but I mean, they can't fix them on their own, but these, these platforms are huge,
1: the dominant distributors the dominant weighs in uh, to 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 a lot of news content aren't they i mean jason did,
5: don't, don't i mean google, has, way, I, google has don't, I would i would i, would, I would just correct one thing cuz you use the word distribution which technically is not accurate we don't distribute information we obviously help with google search we help people find information we send them to those sites mm. to those sites where the publisher controls yeah. the business model and the experience so I, I agree with just that. just to
4: be i agree with that, accurate I, on I, that. Mean, that. I mean in the tv world the distributors yeah. pay and have an actual relationship with the programmers, and, hmm. and Google doesn't pay for most of the content, so, so they're not a distributor. Um, they control 96% of mobile search, so they're absolutely the way people discover content, and there's no way around that. So,
1: is is the relationship changing between these companies? Well, certainly, think, what, Google. You know, Facebook has changed the its its news feed recently, and news is less.
4: Ready
2: to pop the question?
1: Uh, prominent part of, 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 of the newsfeed.
2: So let me, let me talk a little bit about yeah. that because the changes that we've made are, are pretty dramatic, I mm. think. Um, what we've done is, um, in, with a recent ranking change, is, is shift um, the kind of news that gets a boost in news feed. Mm. It's not, you know, we, we've taken this mindset of like all news is created equal, and we've let go of that. And what we're trying to do now is emphasize um, quality and try to define what quality news looks like, what great journalism looks like, and give that a boost so that there's less competition overall. Mm. Um, We have just started making these ranking changes. We we sort of laid out principles that are gonna guide us on this, um, giving a boost to broadly trusted news organizations, those those news organizations that a wide variety of people with a wide variety of reading habits um, all agree are trusted sources of news. Um, informative news organizations, because Broadly Trusted, frankly, mostly captures big, well-known brands. Um, and so informative news organizations, you're thinking about you know, Axios or Vox or um, more, you know, more digital-first news orgs that are doing some great journalism. We want to make sure that those are also getting a boost. And then local local news, which, you know, I came from local news, and I'm really concerned about what's happening in local news, and we're trying to connect people geographically with their local news sources. Mm. So this is, um, you know, this is a shift, I think, in terms of how we've thought about news and feed, Mm. um, to, to say that whatever the ratio of news is, we wanna be very clear about the kind of news that people are seeing, and we wanna emphasize quality news and those that are most trusted overall when we think about these ranking changes.
3: Mm. Emily, did you... you what do you think of the changes? Well, um, I, d- I don't run a news organization, um, fortunately. Um, but so, so I think that what, what, I mean, what Campbell says is actually enormously significant because it is going to refine and in, in a way pick winners, which is one way of, of putting it. This has you know, enormously sort of c- contested uh, outcomes in the market. I mean, I'll ask Campbell, you know, is Breitbart a trusted news source?
2: Um, to some people it is. to others it it is not is it to facebook so we haven't released publicly the trusted scores for how we are coming up with that it's kind of dynamic at this phase but 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 i
3: think but i think that this this gets right down to the heart of it at in, in news organizations and increasingly facebook stands in the shoes of a news organization in terms of its users you know you see your users on your platform mark thompson sees a new york times reader you know that's where the kind of tension takes place and I think that this issue of who is in and who is out I can absolutely see why Facebook pushes that out to the market but that's always gameable in different ways and at the end of the day you will end up doing what we do as news organizations which is saying these things stand for our values and these things don't. And I think that that is a big conversation and it's something that Google will have to do as well because YouTube, my research director, Jonathan Albright, who you've probably read on the front page or the front sort of screen of every news organisation, sort of unpicking how YouTube is again a sort of a, a host for you know, conspiracy theory videos, kind of, sort of fake news, whatever. You have to, at some point, make those editorial judgments. So we, you know, do, we've done that, and, do, and that's what they do. Doesn't but, do that
1: mean acknowledging that these companies are publishers, which is, which is your Well, I've always said about. that
3: they are. Right. I mean, they're
1: a different type of publisher. I, I, I,
5: no, I, I, obviously, I, I, I rather strongly disagree. Uh, you know, Google and Google Search are, are not a publisher. not No. Well, no, how no, 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 you no. Are. Emily, let me answer the question. Because right? in the area of Google search, we surface results from the entire web. Are you suggesting that we have editorial responsibility for the content on the web? I don't think that's what we're looking
3: no, for. No, yet. but no, we, but you, we, do, we you have, do encourage creators on YouTube. You host them, you bring them in, you tell them how to make their videos. We, you, we need to you be, you be very careful
5: in. about going down the line of any significant platform, making editorial decisions about what is acceptable speech and unacceptable speech. Let's be really careful here, right? Because there are many perspectives on lots of issues. And whilst it might be very simple to say, oh, let's block those Macedonian teenagers if we can find them, obviously the world of expression on matters of public policy and public interest are many and varied. For instance, the whole notion of a binary signal of whether a source is trusted or not is 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 absurd, right? But the the Emily, let let me finish. the, the qualities in nature and trusted artifacts of a brand are down to individual authors. Uh, you know, there's a rich, rich marketplace of, of of expression out there that we want to bring to the equation. So it's not about with Google Search. It's not about us making editorial decisions. What we do think is very, very important, right? Is to, is to make sure that we're giving users. The tools and information they need as citizens from an, in an assiduously apolitical way as possible to develop their own critical thinking and form, hopefully, there are more informed decisions. Mm-hmm. That's what we sh- should look to do. But, not my, a- uh, make editorial decisions about what kind of content people can expose themselves to via the web. If, if, I'm, sorry, I'm if,
2: not sure I agree with Richard inter- entirely yeah. because it, it's not, I mean, there's a difference between making editorial decisions and wanting to ensure the, the information that you're giving to people is accurate. Yeah. And and you know, we, we've been doing a lot of work around false news over the last year, but I, I just I think we all have to set realistic expectations about what's coming which is, you know, the technology is getting so sophisticated that there is going to be video, probably by the 2020 election, where where you are not going to be able to tell if this is a real politician speaking or a fake politician speaking. You won't be able to tell the difference um, in the video. You'll get an article from the New York Times. It'll look like the New York Times. It'll have a byline from someone you know, but you won't know if it's a real New York Times piece. And there's video that's going to come into newsrooms. Newsrooms won't be able to tell is it real or is it fake. And we do, I believe, have a responsibility, as do newsrooms. All of us have a responsibility to to recognize that that this is the world we're entering. And the only way, the only way that we can try to ensure that what people are seeing is accurate and truthful is to emphasize quality and try to work together to come up with signals that we can get a consensus on that, that define what quality journalism looks like. And I think it's we,
5: critical and, we move and, in that and, and I think we all feel a sense of responsibility. I feel a, a deep sense of responsibility to free expression in and of itself. So that's why I say when we talk about these things, you have to get very granular. But, but okay, well, let's let, get granular. Let, no, 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 let's Emily, get granular. Let, let, well, let me finish. I, let me finish. I,
3: I, you, I, okay, let you finish once. Can I just Wait. say one thing? <laughs> Can I just I, say one thing, which is... Sorry, well, which is... Actually, Google has had a pretty well calibrated editorial um, decision making process on PageRank. And Google News is a highly filtered product where not anybody could get onto the front page of it, where you had white labeled news organizations and non white labeled news
5: organizations. So it's a little bit disingenuous no, to say no, you don't necessarily. That, but but, the but that's actually completely incorrect. Well, how hey, is pay, it? Correct? No, PageRank, that PageRank was about looking at and still is was about tracking the endorsements of one node in the ecosystem to another. It wasn't about someone at Google deciding what what PageRank a publisher had. But, no, but, not not at but all. But news and, op, no, news
3: optimization. Me... You had news you had news organizations and non-news organizations, right? Emily, is that right?
5: <laughs> and with Google News, the criteria and you can look at it are very simple. Because we're not making judgments on the quality or editorial position of any news organization. It says two things Are you accurately representing who you are? And are you doing current events coverage of one form or another? There are 85,000 sites inside Google News, and I can tell you a lot of them aren't necessarily high quality because it isn't our role to decide who a legitimate news organization Richard, is, Richard, or when isn't, you, nor when YouTube. It
1: be. When YouTube carries Infowars and Alex Jones on its, on its, on its, on its platform, and there are ads running that, that Google's ads, ad products help
5: InfoWars sell and monetize, clearly you're, cr- you're crossing a line and you are part of the of that system. Well, again, careful when we say you, you have to look at specific environments. We're talking about Google Search in one, in one dimension, the open web in another, YouTube in another. Obviously, YouTube is a, is, is a, is a platform which, you, which Google and YouTube can manage in a very different way. They have their own pri- policies about how people <coughs> can participate. Right? So far, organizations like Breitbart have been very, very careful in following the policies of, of, of YouTube uh, in every fashion. Mm. Right. They're very, very cautious at what they do to make sure they don't cross those lines. If they do cross those lines, then we'll address it as we have. But if you pl- if they're plugged into, I mean, I know these are different sides of the business.
1: But if if Infowars are being are monetizing their video on YouTube and you guys are benefiting from that because you take a piece when they monetize their video and at the, on the other side of the business. There are news sites which may or may not be trusted, or which are being treated the same
5: as other news sites, then, you're, then you're, you're implicitly connected. But again, too, in all of these cases, all policy-driven, and also providing tools, like for instance, brand safety, providing tools for the advertisers to decide where their advertising goes, mm. right? So they, that's ultimately their responsibility. If they don't want their ads to appear against a specific uh, voice on YouTube, that is their decision to make. Jason, you're shaking your head.
4: I, I'm shaking both directions on this, yeah. Sorry. We're lost in the weeds. We're back to the classic debates about PageRank, etc. I would go back up to, I think, what Campbell, what you said, which I wholeheartedly agree with. Um, and we sent letters back in 2016 to their, the tops of these two organizations, to the CEOs. They have the most resources we've ever seen on the planet, $140 billion of revenue per year. The smartest engineers ever assembled inside their companies. We need moonshots around these problems. They love to do moonshots. We need big ideas, extraordinary ideas. And they've been ducking for a year and a half behind classic PR relations formulas in many ways. These two individuals have been incredible ambassadors to the industry. That's true. Um, and they have unenviable jobs. They are, in some ways, doing research on, um, on nicotine gum inside of big tobacco. I mean, literally, that's, that's the jobs they have right now. and it's. It's hard, but go back to the economics of the business. Google collects data across 80% of the top 1 million websites. They devour data across the web to target individuals with advertising. Facebook does the same within their ecosystem. It's a micro-targeted advertising business. Hmm. The advertisers are continuing to ask for that and fund it, so they need to decide if they want to or not. Mozilla just pulled pulled all their advertising off Facebook this morning. they also are spending enormous amounts of money on YouTube where within 10 seconds, any child can find video that if it was on NBC at four in the morning, every advertiser would pull out of NBC. Hmm. So how do we solve those problems? And we need to do it much faster than we are. Hmm. I mean, do we solve them with regulation? Is that, is that the? Data regulation. W- but what about media content regulation? I, mean, is, is I think image? that's, I agree with Richard. That'd be a very, that's the only thing we asked, is don't get into the business of of censoring content?
3: Mm. well I think there's censoring there's editing. I mean, as I say, you know, kind of both Google and Facebook have committed significant resources in in terms of moderation, um, scale content moderation, which is a really difficult and unpleasant and lowly paid business. And some of this comes down to, you know, if we're going to in, in, if we're going to enhance the general environment, you have to make bids on things that you believe in and institutions that you believe in. Um, and you know, for journalists, that means paying reporters, which is what's not happening at the moment. It's not happening in local markets. says you know, the, the newspaper market has not been a great steward uh, commercially for paying people doing accountability reporting itself. This is not a kind of a. It was great in the old days. It really wasn't. Um, but going forward, you know, if, unless you pay reporters, that is the thing. That when we're talking about the future of news, that's the future of news. You know, investigative. Daily reporting and those people can't work in isolation journalism is a team sport you need strong institutions The really interesting thing that we have coming up which is kind of partly what we study at Columbia is how these two institutions Work with those kind of independent institutions because I would say we would not be having this conversation if it were not for the work of independent journalists and independent academics, mm. not one piece of information would have come willingly from either of these organizations or any other and that's something that you know kind of isn't sustainable without a long term
1: plan for how we fund you, well you've talked about an endowment before okay. haven't you what, 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 do you still believe that's a possible so well I mean I you know I think that you have sorry to be
3: academic you have constitutive moments, as Paul Starr, the sociologists would say, which is, you know, kind of where you can make new interventions in the market and you can do something dramatic. And I think around local news, we've reached the point where we need that. And I kind of applaud what Google have been doing about and, and applaud what Facebook have been doing about it. But it's not that's not the solution. You know, kind of the, these organizations have to live without outside extensive systems of power, and that's what Google and Facebook also are, so at some point we have to come up with an independent funding mechanism for those, and we have it in some um, we have it in countries where you have well-funded public service broadcasting. They're not necessarily doing it very well, but you have it. Mm. You don't have it in America. I think that's been a real problem um, at local level. The NPR channels actually have done incredibly well in this environment, but PBS is, 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 is very sort of like meagrely funded compared to the rest of the market.
0: Um, I, well
2: I, I mean, just to follow up on what Emily said, I, I actually am, am quite optimistic I mean, I hope I'm right. We'll have to again judge us on our, our actions, but we have taken some steps um, recently, and I think it will take us a year to 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 make these things work. But um, developing a paywall um, so that it, for Facebook, so that um, news organizations that are pursuing a subscription model have a way to um, to hopefully create a long-term sustainable business model on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Um, We are with video funding news now in Watch, which is our video destination. Um, and my hope is that we will be able to create a successful um, news destination and watch for video news that, that will be a way for publishers to monetize over the long haul. Mm. And then again, um, I think these ranking changes are also gonna be helpful. Again, this is gonna take a while to figure out. It's mm. not gonna happen overnight. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, what I hear from publishers is, you know, we don't want to be more dependent on you. We wanna be less dependent on you. And the relationship we've had with publishers, I think up until now, has been about, you know, trying to increase traffic, or you know, they call me, our traffic is up, our traffic is down, oh my God. And, and if you're trying to build a business around, um, you know, predicting what an algorithm is going to do to your traffic, that's going to be a rough ride. And so my my job now, I think, is to try to shift the conversations and the work we're doing with publishers more to how do we get the subscription product to work, how do we get News & Watch to work, and then how do we build the tools that help you have a closer and uh, better Um, A more loyal relationship with your audience so that you're not trying to ride this roller coaster of traffic around an algorithm that is always gonna change and that no news organization is ever gonna be able to control or predict.
1: So no no lesser figure than Rupert Murdoch suggested recently that uh, platforms pay carriage fees to carry content from trusted sources or news from from trusted sources. How did that go down at, at, at Facebook?
2: Well, um, we are supporting news and watch now. Mm-hmm. Um, we're getting pitches from news organizations. But it, it's, it's, a, it's not the right comparison, I think, to cable companies. I mean, people go to cab- cable to watch a particular show. I mean, people come to Facebook to you know share content with friends and family. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not the same comparison. But again, direct payment, what publishers tell me makes them very nervous, because you know they are more dependent on us. And at any moment, they fear Mark Zuckerberg could wake up one day and say, I want to do something different. Mm. Guess what? That's tech companies. Mm. Um, they always want to do something different. Change is the constant. So with that in mind, what I'd rather focus on is for those publishers who want to be on Facebook, and, and maybe not every publisher should be on Facebook, but for those who do want to try to build a business on Facebook, what tools can I give them? Can our engineers build for them that will make them have a successful, independent, and sustainable business model over the long term that's not as reliant on, on you know, the whims of a technology company? Mm-hmm.
5: You know, I, I mean, I, I, it is absolutely the case that, that we're in a period where, for all kinds of reasons, it's necessary to reinvent journalism. It's necessary to reinvent what a local news outlet is. I mean, let's look at what's changed. Because sometimes here, too, we can look at it and and, and draw incorrect uh, conclusions. You look at the local news organization. I mean, their very role in society, if you subscribe to a newspaper in 1985, you were effectively subscribing to the internet of your community. Mm That's where you went for everything. It, you know, when my dad wanted to buy me a used car when I was 16, he went to the newspaper. Right? When I needed an apartment, I went to the newspaper. Now you go to Craigslist, you go to Gumtree in the United Kingdom, you go to Zillow. All of these different uh, entities in the environment that has obviously changed the underpinnings of what being a local news organization is. Now the beauty is, is we are seeing great progress there. We're seeing we're seeing folks like Edwin Plenel in Paris with Mediapart, who's been at it for eight years. Great product, a lot of investigative journalism. He's got a pen paywall, he's profitable, 150,000 subscribers, 45 uh, uh, reporters, Village Media in Canada, eight digital properties in eight markets, in some cases, completing with local newspapers, his own newsrooms, he's profitable. So people can do that. And that's what we're trying to do is how do we enable it? How do we, you know, subscriptions is as much focused on small publications as any other because they don't necessarily have the technological capabilities, right? So can we give them those kinds of capabilities? Can we give them G Suite to lower the cost of their operations and so on and so forth? Mm -hmm. I think there's great promise in this area. And we're beginning to see those flowers grow. Mm. And I think it's always important, particularly in an open society, to make sure that you look first and say, can the organic markets ser- you know, serve the purposes what they're intended to be, mm. not by some adjudication of who gets money and who doesn't get money from some central source. Mm. Now, obviously, you know, government-funded media is the case in many countries. And if that's what governments want to do, then that's what they should do. Mm. You don't anticipate regulation coming
1: that affects Google in any way as part of this big, this look at Facebook.
5: Well, regu- you know, that's, you know, when you say regulation and that big word, it's like saying, do we need oxygen here? You know, if you're in a democracy, regulation happens. And mm-hmm. there is regulation, obviously, that applies to us today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we continue to work with public policymakers on various areas where, theoretically, legislation should be strengthened mm-hmm. uh, without question. We work very, very closely with them to do that. I think, as we all know, we just want to make sure, as we, as a society, address these issues, that we're keenly aware of the secondary consequences and we don't create negative aspects, whether that be free expression or, or, or any other core constitutional principles mm. that we uphold. Um, C- Campbell, what, what, I mean, you, you mentioned the 2020 election what sort
1: of measures? And this is a question from the audience. What, what sort of measures could Facebook have in place? What could it? What, what's practical now to sort of Yeah. Happening by so
2: um, things have gotten a lot better based on the lessons learned in 2016 in terms of trying to address uh, fake news and fake accounts. Mark talked about this a little bit in his interview on CNN and, and with the New York Times. Um, you know what we have found is that most of the False news, as hoaxes that we've seen on Facebook, are are financially motivated. So a lot of work has been done around disrupting the financial incentives. Um, On the more, what I think is the more challenging piece is, you know, when you have bad actors or bad governments who are using fake accounts to try to you know drive social discourse or disrupt social discourse in some way Mm -hmm. and there is a separate team that you know we have poured resources into to try to better identify those accounts prevent people from creating those fake accounts and then when we can identify them remove them from the platform. This has been a huge you know, investment on mm. Facebook's part since the um, 2016 election. And I think there are examples, the two that Mark mentioned, um, was the, the election in France where we had far more success getting ahead of this. Mm. Um, the special election in Alabama, um, same thing, um, where, you know, people, you know, we had examples of Macedonians, you know, who were trying to manipulate the platform and, and we were able to get in front of it. And And that to me is the real challenge, which is how do we get off this sort of flat-footed um, approach, mm. which is like being reactive to these situations and, and get two steps ahead. Mm. And, and the answer to that is, is what I think we're doing, which is investing massive resources in trying to address the problems. Mm.
5: But here too, we need to recognize that society, fake news is not as simple as Macedonian teenagers. Let's not kid ourselves, right? And of course, the term in itself has been weaponized right so it's basically it's information that i don't like from a source that i don't like there's a wide spectrum and i think that we know and as mit pointed out in their analysis of the 2016 election the impact on the 2016 election was not macedonian teenagers with fake fake news mm. it was vast amounts of hyperpartisan content from political organizations, from news organizations, and so on and so forth. I mean, these are the challenges that we have to address in our society. And it's not necessarily about tr- just trying to detect the information. It's how do our institutions evolve in a sense to regain the trust of our communities and rebuild our democracies, such that we can actually reach consensus about things. I would, so I we, would
3: yeah, I would completely agree with Richard on that, which is that fake news is only a part. You know, it's completely dominated this idea of that's what the future of journalism, or that's what the future of platforms is. It's a tiny part of it, and it's actually a tree in the road—it's never going away. It will always. So we have to learn how to drive around it. Mm. You know, you're not going to be able to cut it down. So I thought, and I think that sort of seeing more initiatives funded, which are not just about, you know, finding fake news, um, but also about how you rebuild those institutions that Richard was talking about, is actually the thing that we're lacking at the moment.
1: But Emily, do you you think that they should be? These companies should be responsible for what appears on their platforms. Are, are they? They are
3: responsible. I mean, in one way or another, they are responsible. And in a way, they don't get to choose whether they're responsible or not, or say, "Hey, we're not responsible." Anyone who has even run a small community talk board, and I was responsible for running all the all the talk threads of the Guardian, which is a horrible um, uh, place to be. Uh, <laughs> you know, you do understand that you you are defined by your communities that use you, you know, and you are defined by what society decides you are going to be. That's the problem for Facebook at the moment. Which is that everybody has, you know, as the mainstream media has become less important, then actually the platforms are becoming sort of identified just generally by. people. we did some local kind of focus groups with uh, people who really wanted to talk about fake news. I think I'm pro, I'm, I'm not pro fake news, but the term has allowed not people, not. <laughs> people. The term has allowed people to participate in a conversation about something that they know has been happening to their information environment that they couldn't quite understand and that they, you know, that they knew they were seeing things and they weren't quite sure why. And people are really electrified by it, sort of at ground level. And that's really where their problem is. It's not with yeah. people like me, it's with people who are saying, you know, we were talking about, you know, I'm gonna check with ATT that I don't that so, <laughs> that I'm not being monitored. That's the thing. The discourse is is not
5: something that you can control. Right, exactly. I mean in here too, look uh, yes, we have a obviously we have a very popular search engine, billions of users. The the ongoing effectiveness of that as a search engine with loyal users is based on their trust. There is no network effect with Google search. You can go to another oh, come search on. engine. T- Come on. That's... You can go to another. Can I finish? Yeah, Please go person. ahead. I just had to say, come on. That's... <laughs> but you can, and frankly, our market share is not 90%. So why do you buy out Safari globally?
4: and Firefox? Can
5: I continue? Yes, of course. All right. All right. So, People don't have to use Google Search. Right. You're not tied to it. You can go to Bing. You can go to services. But here's the challenge with Search. I mentioned this the other day in my talk. Right, which is an interesting challenge. right? We want to provide the most authoritative information possible, but it is a search engine. And that's a vitally important role is to allow people to find anything that's findable in the corpus of legal expression. Mm. Right? I think everyone here I as mean journalists who recognize that fully. Mm-hmm. So depending on your query, if you do a query for some new conspiracy theory, guess what? Probably the only information you will find is from people who are spouting that conspiracy theory because maybe the legitimate news organizations haven't popped up and said it's not true, mm-hmm. right? So that stuff will be there. Our challenge and our, you know, what we continue to think about is not only how do we do the right job in terms of surfacing authority, but how do we also guide our users to understand the difference between between the two, and indeed to recognize that just because it's on the Google search results page does not mean it's verifiable truth,
1: mm-hmm.
5: right? Jason. And our in our in in everything we do here, again, if it's if if we can't have a successful rich ecosystem, that's bad for search. It's
4: bad for the ad platforms mm-hmm. it, it, that all of uh, that two million publishers rely upon. Mm. I just don't think they fully realize what's about to hit them, and I think it's being driven by the Facebook discussion. And we talk about massive resources. I appreciate the resources being thrown at it. But Facebook bought WhatsApp for $19 billion with zero revenue in that company. They would have spent probably that much on Snapchat. Google will do, literally spend billions of dollars to buy out any potential search competition um, in the way that they do. Um, either needs to come from the expense side with real investment in solving these issues, or it needs to come more likely out of releasing some of the revenue um, aggressiveness that they have around data that they use to use the network to hoard all the data as possible, keep it inside their systems mm. to target advertising. Mm. And that's where I think the, the international discussion is turning. And,
5: and for great privacy reasons, obviously, it's important that we do hold on and protect to that data. And we should point out that with the ad platforms, for instance, that again, 2 million publishers around the globe use, those rev shares are in excess of 70% to the publisher. Having been as a publisher, mm. the idea of having okay. a highly effective source of incoming ad revenue that I I have no expense on. It's a beautiful thing. And it sends $12.5 billion to the industry last year. This is no they're ill They're talking about their
4: ad right. yeah, so okay. right. the tech platform. They're letting
5: publishers
1: keep platform. We're running out of time. So one quick last question um, and relates to what both, both you and, and Richard were saying. But you've both said you'll, you'll boost, this is from the audience too, that you'll boost quality news sources. How do you define quality? What's the arbiter of quality and trust? How do you define trust?
5: Well, it's obviously a very complex problem, because it's it's not a binary equation about any given source. As you know, we look at it, we have hundreds of signals that we use to try to get to a sense of authority. Right, and it's an ongoing effort. PageRank was one of those. Mm. It still is one of those, though interestingly, as people became more aware of PageRank, we started seeing bots and people game it, so it sort of became less effective. Mm. Right? We have uh, a big part of what drives our models today is we have 10,000 raters around the world who, when we make algorithm changes, we show them results. We say, are we surfacing the res- right results? We have a 160-page document, public document, which guides those raters and how they assess the pages they're seeing for authority, for expertise. And they do this on on an article level. They're not doing it and saying, oh, is this particular site good or bad? They're saying, are these the right results for the right query? Because it varies. And depending on the query, as you know, we look at relevance, we look at authority. In many queries, relevance actually is more than good enough, right? If I'm looking to buy a new router as a woodworker, actually, I would actually rather have the blog post from a woodworker who tells me about his experience. I don't need a scientific analysis. So we continue to work those elements. And that's what we announced the other day is Mm -hmm. in breaking news events where we know there is a heightened vulnerability to bad actors looking to take advantage of that high interest rate is where we take and shift. Let's go during this period when obviously rumors can outrun facts is put a further edge towards authoritative content and surfacing those results. And those systems have been working quite well. They worked well with the Maryland shooting two days ago, sad as that was. Mm.
2: I I think this is um, really hard to do. Um, I don't think we can take such a hands-off approach. I do think this is a, a, a fantastic place where the platforms can collaborate with publishers, with people like Emily. Um, to try to identify signals that we could all come to consensus on. Mm. I mean, there's some obvious ones. You know, does a does a news organization have a corrections policy when they make a mistake? Mm. You know, ha- who is the news organization? Who works there? Their bios. How long have they been around? But but we so accredited.
1: So
5: some sort of accreditation system.
2: Um, I think we're moving in that direction. I I don't know
5: where we'll land. From a First Amendment perspective, we don't want anyone accrediting who a journalist is. But to that point, for instance, one thing that we did is work with the industry on the trust project, which was how do organizations themselves do a better job for presenting what they're about, who they are, their expertise? Do they have those correction policies? Having been
2: been a journalist for more than 20 years, I don't think anyone can call themselves a journalist. And I don't think we should say, anyone who says, I'm a journalist.
5: I I would be very reluctant to live in a society where like, who decides who decides who a journalist is. But my point is, I want to just raise a a, a good example here. Trinity Mirror in the UK went and, and implemented all of the recommendations of the trust project. And they had saw an eight percent increase in reader trust in their brand, and an eight percent increase in their inclination of their readers to recommend it to others. This stuff does matter, but it's not about regulation. It's not about someone deciding who a journalist is. It's how do we, and again, rethink journalism. That, that's exactly that what we can I'm talking help about. Help users is, find what what there is. There are signals, trust and the Trust
2: Project is working on them, and that's that's exactly what I'm talking about. Is I do think this is an area where potentially we can collaborate, and we should collaborate, as opposed to everybody working in their own little bubble to try to figure this out. This is a problem that's going to impact us all. And as I said before, given the direction where fake news is going, it's going to impact publishers. It's going to impact newsrooms. It's going to affect platforms. And if we don't work together, we're going to have a lot less success in addressing it.
3: And as a a journalist, I would say, hard as it is to imagine, the Facebook news feed is not a natural state of being, and maybe neither is Google. You know, that, that, that... we need independence of both of those organizations, much as we might need them in the immediate moment. Um, and I think they would agree with that. And, and so when you're talking about the future of news today, I think it's really focusing on how, does, how do those two things work? Because it cannot be that we have a future which is you know, a small number of companies having to make these decisions by themselves. Mm. And you know, kind of that's sort of really the challenge for everybody in this room is how do we how do we balance um, what's a very rapid and changed news environment, which has pretty much kind of wiped out the idea in some places that
1: you can be independent of these third-party companies. Okay, guys, thank you. We're out of time, but uh, fascinating stuff. Thanks so much for coming.
0: We'll be back next week with another episode of Tectonic. In the meantime, if you'd like to comment on today's show or suggest any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes, please email us at tectonic@ft.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast app. And if you write a review, that will help other people find us too. Thanks for listening. This episode of Tectonic was produced by Amy Keene.